Okay, here we go. You guys ready? Here we go. Would you agree that giving to the church is a good biblical thing to do? And I know what you would say. Yes, of course. Next question is, is would you say that it's a good thing to give to a, a main a mainline church, but they're weak doctrinally, and their theology is watered down, and for the most part are liberal? Hmm. Would we say no? Would you say that it's a good thing to give to a cult or a false teaching group, a false religion? (laughs) These are really easy answers, aren't they? (laughs) So, is it good to discriminate who we would give our offerings to based on what they believe versus what you believe? Well, that's why we come here on Sundays to hear God's word. <laughs> Thanks for the setup, Mike. <laughs> it would be actually wrong to give to false religions, wouldn't it? And even so-called Christian denominations who really don't hold truth, or at least the truths of Scripture. Hold true to that. Because we are responsible in giving. And we want our money to count for the kingdom of God and His glory, right? So what can any church do for the kingdom of God if it mixes error and heresy with some truth? How can they contribute to the kingdom of God? We wouldn't want to give to that kind of belief, would we? What would you say if you saw a poor widow and her only money she has, she's giving to a false religion? Would that make you feel kind of sad? Would it almost make you want to say, I wish she knew the truth about that religion, Judaism, that had been evolved? by the leaders. See, this is what we're going to be uh, talking about today. It's a familiar text. It's highlighting the widow who gave everything that she had. It wasn't worth much, but it was everything she had which was more than what others were given. We're familiar with that story, right? And I know what you're thinking. you got to be thinking, oh boy, here we go. We're going to have another sacrificial giving message. And well, we could. But as you go through this text, we really have to examine this and see if this is the normal sacrificial giving that we would be talking about. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to give. Matter of fact, it is good to give. We need to give. We are commanded to give. The church The little local church, our church, would not exist if it weren't for offerings. We wouldn't be able to meet here. We wouldn't be able to pay the rent. We wouldn't be able to pay all the things that go with that, utilities or internet or all the things that we have to have, other things, our own uh, website. All those things cost money, right? But 
what we have to do is to stay faithful with the context, with where the Word of God is pointing us to and where we have been. So as we go through this, it's a good reminder that we should give to God's church if it is teaching doctrinal truth and it's right. We could support that. But that's not really what I think Jesus is really doing in this particular passage here. It's the last few days of Jesus' ministry. He's been in the temple. He's been in the temple doing what? Teaching? Healing? Doing what He's been doing for three years? He's been questioned every day as the leaders try to stump Him, try to make Him look bad, put Him in a trap, and then arrest Him. After all the ammunition that they fired at Him, they ran out. And He said, I have a question for you. And it's basically, who am I? As He used about the Son of David passage out of Psalms. David said, I mean, as he wrote that, the Lord said unto my Lord. David had a Lord. It was the Messiah. Everybody knew that was the Messiah. When Jesus was done with that question, could they give an answer? No. It silenced them. Dead silence. And with that, he exposed their motives. He exposed their intent, their very heart. And then after that, and that's what we're going to look at shortly, the scathing rebuke that He gives to them. And we got a little bit of that last week in a very shortened form. The thing is, is that there is judgment coming for these Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, hypocrites, false leaders, Hypocrisy. And the hypocrisy is something that makes Jesus very angry. That's right, Jesus was angry. We know that for He had come into the temple and cleared it out, didn't He? That was called a righteous anger. The anger of God. And He says, after the David teaching about who is really Lord, Jesus is the Messiah, He is Lord, He says, beware of the scribes and Pharisees. And that's what he was emphasizing. And then all of a sudden, he goes into a passage dealing with giving. Do you see the context? What in the world, why would he bring up a a matter about sacrificial giving as he is blasting these hypocrites and the false religion that they have, and then he's going to show what's going to happen to them because there's going to be in 70 A.D. the judgment. He's going to talk about the end times and the last end time judgment. And right in between he says, oh, by the way, I want to go into a little bit of sacrificial giving teaching. (laughs) You see, the nation has rejected him. And by the way, almost in that same context is where he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. 
He shows His care there. I cared for you like a hen gathers the chicks. I want the best for you. And you decline Me. You reject Me. Behold, your house is left desolate. Oh, by the way, oh, about giving. I need to get a message in on giving here before I go. (laughs) I'm going against the grain, folks. And I really had to think about this through this week. I'm going, this has always been used by pastors. I grew up in a Baptist church and they would take every opportunity whenever a text like this would come up, especially this one, because it's about sacrificial giving. It's about giving everything you have. And so if she can give everything she has, you can at least give 10%, 20%, 30%, 50%, maybe more. It was a great passage to use. But, and if, and if you need to, we have touched on it in Luke several times now in, through Luke. Probably about two or three times we have dealt with giving. Um, we are for that. I've already established that. And I say, you know, I always say, you know, a good place to start is 10%. In the New Testament, we get New Testament giving. What comes from the heart, what the Lord gives in your heart to give. Uh, sometimes it might be helping somebody that is your neighbor. Sometimes it might be that. But also, the church depends upon that. So, with that being said, I want to move on and try to treat this in its uh, fair way. You know, uh, this is at the lowest point of Jesus' ministry. He has told them who He is. He's given plenty of Old Testament Scripture to prove that He is the Christ. He is God. And so, here we are with Jesus. And He's observing the people at the uh, the treasury. <coughs> if you look in, um, up here on the screen, we talked about the court of the Gentiles. Big big area. It's like, I don't know, four, six football fields at least. It's huge in that area. And that's where Jesus has been so often teaching. The court of the Gentiles is where Gentiles could go and no further. There's a wall and then there's the court of women. And that's as far as the women could go. It means all the Jews could at least go there. And then there's one other little area where the men would go and of course then even further in this area is where the priests ministered in and then go into the the Holy of Holies and such. Uh, With that thought, that's where Jesus (laughs) is now. He's in the court of uh, the women. This is where the treasury is at. Now turn to Mark 12, verse 41. We're on point number one now. This is where Jesus is going to observe the people at the treasury. Mark 12, we're going to do a quick expository of this and then give what the traditional idea of giving is based on this passage. And then we're going to give what we think to be is more in context. So in Mark 12, verse 41, it says, And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing 
how the people were putting money into the treasury and many rich people were putting in large sums. Now, there is where we're at in Luke today, right? Well, what's just before this in verse 41? Uh, well, verse 38. In his teaching, he was saying, beware of the scribes who like to walk around long robes. Okay, that's the idea. Let's back up a little bit further, and it's really where we were at last week. Where he says, the Lord said unto my Lord, in verse 36, sit at my right hand till I put your enemies beneath your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So in what sense is he his son? And the large crowd enjoyed listening to him. So Mark puts it in the same context as Luke, doesn't he? What's going on? He questions the leaders. He says, I'm God. What you're worshiping is absolutely wrong and he's put it forth time and time again. They can't see Him as God. What else can He do? What else can He say? There's nothing left to say. They can't ask any more questions. And why should He say anything else? And so there it goes into the long robes, the respectful greetings in the marketplaces, and chief seats in the synagogues, and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. The Mark passage right there with Luke, they devour widows' houses, they take their estates. They're thieves. Widows, poor people, are easy prey for the religious elite, the leaders. And then he says... And then it says in verse 41, he sat down opposite the treasury. Began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. Jesus, like I said, is grieved. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I've cared for you. You deny me. Jesus is at a low point in his ministry. He's exhausted. Mark says he was what? Sitting. And Luke says, and he looked up. Ah, don't you like the Gospels? They give you the complete story. He was sitting down. I think he was like shaking his head. Oh, and he's already said, you know, he's thought, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and then your house is left desolate. Do you see the compassion that he has for them? But he's very angry. Because they want their religion versus what is truth and what Christianity is really is, what true belief is. You know, he contemplates this damning religion because it damns people to hell following all their rules and laws that they made outside of Scripture. Jesus has every right to be mad, doesn't He? The fact that He's at the temple and where He sat, the place where He had earlier, earlier had cleansed out it was still corrupt. It was so ungodly. 
That's what we really have to get into our minds because we think, well, we shouldn't take it out so much. These are religious people. And you know, they, they mean well. No, Jesus has really exposed that, hasn't He? They don't mean well at all. They live for themselves. What He's going to do, not only uh, tell them their woes, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. And then at the end of that, as it goes in this text today that goes right along with where we've been and right where we're going, he goes into the temple that's going to be destroyed. And it would be in about 40 years, within a generation. And historically, that is absolutely true. Titus of the Romans destroyed the temple. That's the point. So, Luke says here in 21.1, he looked up and started looking at what was going on in the court where all Jews could go, but not Gentiles. It is past the court of the Gentiles here. It's the court of the women, and that's where they put the places where they put the money, the receptacles. So he's observing. It says here, Luke 21, 1, he looked up and he saw the rich. He observed, he saw, Mark talks about this, putting the gifts into the treasury. Um, Mark says observing the word, the Greek word is actually our English word theater. What do you do at a theater? You watch. You look. You look intently, right? So that word is related to that that word, that Greek word. Etherai. Theater. Now, in Matthew 6, if you turn back, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has a lot of things mentioned about what Christian kingdom life really is. And so he says in verse 1 of chapter 6, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus said there that giving is to be done in secret. The religious system at that time was far from that. It had developed a very public, prominent way to do it. The Pharisees came in and they would have people blow trumpets out in the streets and synagogues. When it came time to go into the court of the women and put their money into the treasury, trumpets would be blown. They would clang their coins in there, make sure that everybody heard that they were giving a lot. They might have a whole bag and go like that, into that, making all sorts of noise. 
So he was looking down, sitting opposite the treasury. He looks up, sees the people doing what they're doing. You know what? Jesus knows their hearts, doesn't He? He knows what they're really up to, what they're doing. And to Him, it's as filthy rags. All the righteous works that they had there was up to no good. Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. There have been some good people, there have been some believers that are true. But for the most part, Israel received Him not. It says in John chapter 1, His own did not receive Him. He knows that their giving is for some other reason. Um, The treasury, it's like... um, in that court of the women. We know that there are gates that keep the Gentiles from coming and there was a stone inscription found by archaeologists. They found uh, two inscriptions that would have been at the that wall that ran around that temple structure and it was they would be located on each gate. They would have gates into that court. You know what it said? No outsider this is about going from from the uh court of the Gentiles into the next court. No outsider shall enter the protective enclosure around the sanctuary. And whoever is caught will only have himself to blame for the ensuing death. It meant death if the Gentiles went any further. So now, this is where we have progressed this and taken this on now. Um, out in the court uh, of the Gentiles, that's where the selling and the buying, you know, all the money was uh, exchanged there. We know what took place in that whole area. All the animals, Jesus took care of that. Now, that had taken probably a course uh, on the previous day or so back. And here we are. Jesus has taught all that He really needs to be teaching to uh, the crowds. There's 13 jars, or actually trumpet-shaped, trumpet receptacles, shofars. You know what shofars were? You know the ram's horn? always used to make a, a sound that uh, the Jews uh, would make with the shofar. You've heard that sound whenever they're around like Jerusalem or such. Those are uh, uh, shofars that would be blown. Well, they had these kind of shofars there and that's where they would come in and clank their coins to show that they were giving their offerings there. Jesus is watching the rich bring their offerings, the Pharisees bring their offerings, and then other people. And so 
as they put their money into the treasury, most of them, I'm not saying everybody, most of them are making a show. And the Pharisees have the spiritual authority. Now, who ran this temple and the temple area? The Sadducees. It was really their monopoly. They basically owned it. That's where they got their money. Do you know where the focus of Judaism is? It's at the treasury. That's where it's all about. That's what it is. This is the focus. This is the central part of their religion. The money. Sadducees have so much to it. Go to Luke 20. I'll tell you what. I think we already read that. 45 through 47. We read that. Okay. The appearance sake and that they have there, right? The Sadducees that ran the temple franchise, they were lovers of money. Look at Luke 16. Just back a few chapters. Luke 16, 14. Here's the Pharisees. Most of the leaders were like this. This is now the Pharisees who were lovers of money. They extracted a lot of their money from the poor, from the widows, from people who just didn't have the money. And they would take it from them as well as other people. Scoffing at Christ at that point right there. Lovers of money. Jesus is hitting right at the heart of where this is all about. This is where it has come to. And judgment is going to be done. When you get to the treasury, you get to the heart of false religion. I underline that part. Because you see, that's their focus. That was their life. That was their livelihood. That's what they were about. Now it says here in our Luke passage, He saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. Other people. But here's the rich. And the rich means uh, plusios. It means a full supply. More than enough. The rich, more than enough. People who can make offerings and still have a lot left. It didn't really make a dent in their income. But they gave a lot. But they have a lot left over. Plenty left over. So that's the idea of the rich there when it's uh, pointed out. That's what Jesus sees. Sees them putting that money in there. The view that we're taking today, we think of this. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses. We're getting ready to go into that widow who's giving. Scribes had a system. They abused the poor. They abused the defenseless, the orphans. You see, they wanted to help out God in making judgment on them. 
Because they're seeing God has judged them. The reason they're poor in the way that they are is because they had some sin and they didn't, they didn't have money because they didn't give money. That's what they would tell them that. And they can feel guilty so that they would give everything that they would have. Sometimes like this. Women were considered second class. The Pharisees had a prayer that they would pray every day and would be like, thank you Lord that I'm not a Gentile and not a woman. Wow. That wouldn't go over too, day, too good today, would it? Which would be right in that sense, yeah. Um, easy pray. There are warnings all throughout Scripture. You could go through many Old Testament passages, New Testament passages about the poor, the widows, right? All the warnings are to take care of them. To make sure that, you know, they're not left out there in the street. Not to abuse them, especially. And here is this tragedy. Jesus knows what's in their heart. He knows what they've done. He knows probably what they said to some poor widow that day, maybe. It's a tragedy that our Lord knows the abuse of a widow taking and doing what she's doing here. And it's the responsibility is really the leaders. They're, you know, this is done in the name of God, in the temple of God. They had turned this into what? A den of robbers. They were robbing those ones that had the least. Boy, that's an ugly exploitation of widows, isn't it? That is like one of the worst things that could be done. If you saw somebody doing that, wouldn't you want to do something about it? That's why Jesus in the Old Testament spoke so much about Carolyn said justice. Audrey probably knows a lot about the justice system. And we don't want to get into that. <laughs> Penny probably knows a lot about the justice system. You guys, you know, worked either either are still working or worked with that every day of your lives for years and years and years and years. We know that our justice system is not the best either. It does a lot of underhanded things. It's still based on something that is right and true. And they were too. They were based upon the Word of God. But people are really evil and wicked. And they prove it. Without Christ, they're there living for themselves they're not really for the betterment of others. Oh, they have little organizations and make them feel better what they do, but ultimately, all of our works, if they're not of Christ to God, are absolutely filth. He's not going to accept that as far as righteous enough to be in His heaven. Sure, He uses people that are not believers to do things that are good. I am thankful for that. Very much so. 
You know, so I don't make fun of that, but at the same time, I know that that work, even as high as it can be, if it's not coming from Christ, if they're not believers, that work is not going to get them into heaven. It sure makes life easier for all of us. Look at James one twenty seven. Hebrews, James 27. He's talking about what true religion is. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father. Not people, not uh, spiritual leaders or whatever, but in the sight of our God. It's this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Well, there we go. That's what James says. You've got to take care of them. Now, we look in verse 2, finally, and I saw a poor widow. The word there for poor is Pentecost. And it means to be needy. Poor, but not totally poor. Not doing so good, you know. But hanging in there, barely. She's a poor widow with a couple of copper coins. And you can say she's not that bad off. She's poor, but she's not that bad off. Well, keep on reading. He saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you, this... Poor widow, it's not that same word this time. What has she just done? Put in her last two coins. Now what does that make her? Well, patokos is the word here. Now, you see how down to the degree God's word hammers on the most little, even little words to show the difference in particular words. Even though in the English it's the same word. Patokos means destitute. To have nothing. Poor. Destitute. She went from not having hardly anything to now having nothing because he says she put in more than all of them. He makes a statement there that's incredible. For they all out of their surplus put into the offering out of their surplus, surplus, all the extra they gave some, maybe quite a bit, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. That is convicting. I will not take that away. That's amazing that she put everything, she had two small coins. It doesn't amount to much at all. It's like a couple of pennies. That's all she had. Now what's she going to do? Maybe she could have bought a little bit of morsel of food. Now she has nothing. I take it she just got paid. I mean, if she ran out, that was it. That's all she had. She might go and starve to death now. I don't know. It doesn't say that. She put in more than all. All the other people. 
But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. She now had nothing to live on. Beware of the scribes and Pharisees, right? If I were there, I would have almost liked to say, hey, listen, please, you, you have to take care of yourself. You have to eat. Does God need that money? He owns everything. He doesn't need anything, does He? But it is a part of His program. It is a thing that He gives for us. To, and it's a part of worship, isn't it? So don't take that away. But in this sense, it's her last two cents, folks. Her life is based upon this system. That's why she's doing it. Why is she doing it? She's probably been told, hey, it's only one of you now in your family. You can afford to give everything. You can live. God will bless you. If you give money, God will give you back more than this. Now, not that they want the two cents, but you know there are uh, houses that widows lived in. Some of them were really nice homes. Pharisees loved that because they could guilt them into <clears throat> giving that to them. Maybe they could go live at the temple. But the house would be the Pharisees and that would now be theirs. You see, there's a lot of earning favor with God because... They have been told that if you give, God will multiply that. And there is a sense in that. There is truth to that. Right? God has given us everything we know. And He he does multiply. And how many times have you seen it in your own lives? You look back and you think, how did I ever get the job that I ever got? God gave that to me, right? But the sense is here. Jesus has established that this is a false religion. Why would anybody give any money to this religion that spurns the very Messiah that has come to earth and shown them who He is? They're without excuse. Jesus is certainly not saying she gave her last cent and that's what you should do. Is He saying that? No. Is He saying that to the disciples? Hey, you guys, check this out. Do you see what she's doing over there? She's giving more than all the Pharisees and the rich people. And they would say, what do you mean by that? I think they knew. And And He said because she didn't give it out of her riches or surplus, but it was out of her poverty. It was the last thing she had. He's not saying that. Of course not. You know, he doesn't demand for us to give everything that we have or most of it. He really has given us all these riches. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. He doesn't want you to give up everything you've got. That that doesn't make sense because He wants you to manage what you have. You have to have food. If somebody was down to their last money, would you tell them to give it to the church? Of course not. They're 
fact, you might take them out and get them something to eat. You might buy them some groceries. You know, you, you guys have all done stuff like that, or people in need, or what have you. you know, I, I know about that. But, you know, it's almost like buying your way. This religion is what I know, so I'm going to stay in it, and whatever they tell me, I'm going to do. This is it. They're buying prosperity. They're buying salvation. They're buying healing. Whatever it is, if you get money, you'll be blessed. Now, we go to part two. It's traditional view. And like I said, this is not where we're really focusing on today, but I'll give it. This is what uh, most of Baptist churches would be at. And I'm not knocking them there. They would use this, though, as strictly as a sacrificial giving passage. Most of the commentators that you go to, and most pastors, most preachers, they will give us a little glimpse of different ideas. Uh, They would say, this is a glimpse of the true worship versus false worship. The, The poor widow is true worship and the Pharisees false worship. Okay, uh, a little light would be there in the midst of darkness as he's given air. That's not a bad, bad thought, is it? If somebody truly wanting to you know, worship God. And, it, you know, there could be, maybe that is the truth here. I'm not saying that this is absolutely wrong. And we can glean a lot from that. It can be helpful, right? And that is a good principle. There's always light, even in, in the darkness. That's a good thing. How about the motive and the attitude of the giver? They should have a selfless attitude, shouldn't they, when we give? We should have a, a loving, a joyful attitude. Uh, we're expressing our love to God by giving a, a percentage here. That's the next one, the percentage given. Uh, who gave the highest percentage of their offering? Was it the, the rich or was it the poor widow? Obviously, Jesus has just said it. She gave the highest percentage. She gave 100%. Nobody else did. She was the one who gave 100%. So, we could have a message dealing with percentage of what we give. Sacrificial giving is another one. This passage uh, is used much of the time for what sacrificial giving is all about. Sometimes we need to give until it's painful. To give until we feel it a little bit. Rather than saying, oh, there's my $2. You know, we made $1,000 this week or $100. Let's get a little more real, right? (laughs) And there's my $2. Uh, Wow, did that really hurt? Well, it could have. Maybe $97 went into the bills and all they had was $1 left to buy a loaf of bread. Can you get a loaf of bread for that anymore? Not sure. Day old dead bread place? Is it even around anymore? Uh, anyway, I, uh, I'm not trying to make fun of this. It's it just that there is a sense that, yeah, you want to give. Even, it should. We should be able to make it feel. David talked about that. He didn't want that area where the, the temple is going to be, the threshing floor, to be given to him. He wanted him to cost something. So we could give a message on that, but that's not what our focus is. How about the mount left over? A measure of a gift is not how much you give, but how much you have left over after everything else. Uh, another one would be self-denial. Uh, 
A great message on self-denial here, isn't it? We could have done that. And that would have been okay. The cost to the individual. Deny thyself. How about taking a vow of poverty? Which is what some religions do. Some denominations do that. You give everything and you take a vow of poverty where you don't own anything. Is it saying that? I say absolutely not. I say it vociferously. It does not mean give everything. With what God has given you, use it wisely. Start with take off the top for this is the Lord. Uh, here is my food. Here's my rent. Uh, here's, you know, and all your other bills. But just start with the Lord and, and you'll work with that, right? Uh, okay, so there's only one commandment that Jesus really made here. She gave with her two copper coins, and it was relatively a great deal more than any of the others gave out of their surplus. She didn't have anything left. They did. She gave out of her poverty. It's all she had to live on. That's really all that he is really putting forth. We don't really see any teaching here into the depth of what the idea of giving is here. We have already stated that, yes, we believe that in as a church. And it's very important. That's my two cents for there. Okay. I've looked at a traditional view, not spending a lot of time on it, but treating it as most people would. Not necessarily wrong. But I want us now to go what I think is really behind this. The traditional view that most would use today is not really taught by Jesus here. He doesn't talk about percentage or vow of poverty or motives. or He just observed what he saw. He sat down. He's at grief the way that the, the country is. The way that the leaders are. The, the false religion that it is. Hypocrisy. There's no true religion here. Mark says he looks down. And he, as he's sitting, he looks up. He sees that treasury. He sees the people giving. He sees their hearts. And what he sees, for the most part, is not good. Go to... Now remember, Luke 20. Which was previously, that's where we wound up uh, finishing that chapter. Remember about the David thing, and he really got to who they say that I am, is really what it amounts to. He's God, right? And then he says, and while all the people were listening, he said to the disciples, hey, listen, beware of the scribes, the Pharisees, the hypocrites, you know, how they dress. They're putting on a show, beware of them. And then what does he say in verse 47? Who devour widows' houses. What's the very next verse? It's found in Luke 20. He just said, say, now, let's go into giving. Sacrificial giving. No, he says, and he looked up. He's sad. He's angry. 
of what has taken place this whole week, even coming into the city, riding on the donkey. They don't see him really as the king the way that they need to see. And hearing as he looks up, saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, saw a poor widow putting in her coins. He observes, tells the disciples that. Let's go to Mark 12. And again, I mentioned this, but in the context, same context, it's 12, 38 through 40. I'm reiterating it, but I'm just saying this is interesting because this is what I had to do all week. So I'm going to torture you now and keep reading over these same passages because this is what I had to do. And I'm saying, why in the world is this giving passage right in the middle of all of this stuff where he is condemning the Pharisees and the hypocrites? Verse 38 in his teaching, he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes like respectful greetings in the marketplaces, chief seats in synagogues, places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. You know what that is? That is judgment. Great judgment. And then what, what's the next text? He sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. There's the story on the widow. Okay, uh, let's move to Matthew 22. Same thing going on. What he's been doing is been answering the questions. Then he asked the question finally about who he is. This is the way they all got, the, the Gospels here, the Synoptic Gospels, are putting it forth. Matthew gives us a little more detail. Matthew 22, about 41. Uh, the, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, right? So it's about the David Psalms, right? Keep on going. And then it says, right at the end of the chapter 22, no one was able to answer him a word. Did anyone dare from that day on ask him another question? Then, Matthew 23. You know what that whole chapter is really about? Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you. He keeps saying, woe to you. That's talking about a damnation to them. A condemnation. This is the most riveting rebuke by Jesus that you will see that He gives anybody at any time. And He starts off, and we're not going to read the whole chapter, but He says in verse 2, saying the scribes, He's speaking to the crowds and disciples, right? The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. They're saying some right things that come out of Scripture If it's commandments, do those, but do not do according to their deeds. The works that are coming from their depraved hearts. For they say things and do not do them. They command things out of people they they themselves didn't do. They tie up heavy burdens, right? It says in verse 5, to be noticed by men. Let's jump to verse... (coughs) 13, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. Ooh. Verse 14, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses. 
Sounds like Mark. It sounds like Luke, doesn't it? That was the whole ordeal of what he did. This is an extended sermon of condemnation. And he says, therefore you'll receive greater condemnation. Verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him as much a son of hell as yourselves. Is this Jesus speaking? Verse 16, Woe to you blind guides who say whoever swears by the temple that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men. Which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And then you go on, verse 23, Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightiest provisions of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have, should have done those without neglecting giving too. Verse 25, Woe to you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. Verse 27, Woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you are like whitewashed tombs. We get into the depth of this. What follows this? Go to verse 34. By the way, verse 33. You serpents, you snakes, you brood of vipers, you sons of snakes. How will you escape the sentence of hell? That's a condemnation, folks. That's what he's just done. Now look at this. Look at his heart. Look at his compassion. Therefore, behold, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them will kill and crucify. Some of them he send during the, 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 uh, the time of the apostles and the church age. And going on up, I'll, I'll send people here to keep sending the gospel. But you'll even kill them. And here we go. Verse 37. You ready? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together. The way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were unwilling. Behold, look at this, your house is left desolate. Your nation, your religion, your temple is going to be judged. It's going to be left desolate. For I say to you from now on, you will not see me until you see blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You go right into Matthew 24 and what does he say? Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came out to then point to the temple and the buildings to him and he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Look at this magnificent wonder of the world where we were just at. We were at where the treasury was at and the magnificent porticos, Solomon's porticos and the columns. It was beautiful. The white limestone they had used just glistening in the sun. And he says... This thing is going to be coming down. It did, didn't it? He judged Israel. He judged the Judaism that had existed. 
They were not going to have their sacrificial system with the animals anymore. They haven't had it now for 2,000 years. So, are we seeing some context here? Woe to you. It's all, it's all on the, in that same area where he's saying beware the scribes and the Pharisees, right? Matthew is there. Mark is there. Luke is there. And you say, Mark, what, why did you throw in the giving thing here, the offering? Luke, why, why did you throw in the giving? I mean, the judgment is, is found in Matthew 24. It's found in Luke 21. It's found in, in, in Mark. Mark twenty, uh, Mark thirteen. Go back to Luke twenty-one. This is where we're going to start off next week. Verse five. This is where we'd be at next, right? And while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, he said, "As for these things which you're looking at, the days will come in which there will not be one left stone upon another which will not be torn down." Just like Matthew, Mark, Luke. Here we are. Jesus is condemning this religion and everything it has to do with it. He's condemning the giving that they have there as they come in there and clank those coins in the trumpet. And I'm not so sure He's really commending. I know you guys are really going to get stumbled over this and don't stumble because there are other views. But I'm not saying He's condemning the woman but I'm saying he's not necessarily commending her either. He can say, well, yeah, but it says that uh, she gave all that she had. Did Jesus ever say to do that? Why is she doing that? Because I think that's part of the religion. There are churches today that you guys would never set foot in. You know they're false and they're fake and there's, you wouldn't give a penny to them. Do you think any of that money that they give to that church is for the glory and honor of God? No. You wouldn't give that money to them, would you? I know you wouldn't. Because they're not, you would not be responsible with your money that God has given you. You want to give it to people that are in the need of it. But that's almost like a communism where all of a sudden, hey, let them dole out. You know, let them figure out how to give it. Well, the church, in a, in a sense, does that. But this, the church, is really about it's about ministry. It's first, it starts with us. We minister to ourselves, Christ as the at the heart of it all, obviously. Well, the future is definitely involved here. The past has been involved. I feel for this lady because I think she's been taken. Does it make her justified? She could be justified. I don't know. But you all know a lot of good people who go to church every week. Some of them go every day. And yet you would say, yeah, but they're not Christians. They don't believe in Christ. They believe in their religion. Into their system. Yes. So, taking context is what we always do, and Jesus is angry. As for the things which you're looking at, where have we been? We've been teaching and everything. Look at it. It's not going to be here one day. As beautiful as it is, not be. the whole system is going to crash down. 
will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. It reminds me, as we look at history and we think of Martin Luther in the Reformation, the church was abusing the poor. That's right. And he saw that, and that's what got his attention. That's why he wrote the 99 Thesis. It was based upon giving money so that each time that they gave money, it would be another point. It would be another cent. It would be another dollar in getting their mother and father out of purgatory. Buying their way themselves and their relatives out of purgatory. Do you think Jesus would be displeased with that? Judaism was doing, that's what they were doing. It's really was what they were about. Only they were they keeping the money for themselves. Well, what was the, the church doing at that time? Well, they were building massive cathedrals. Did you know those cathedrals are hardly ever finished? Because you never, if you started on a cathedral, you would never see it finished because it would take a hundred years, two hundred years, be beyond your lifetime. Uh, a lot of them took four hundred, five hundred. Some of them are still being built because they need the money to build the cathedrals that are massive. They may not need that amount of room and that kind of the Gothic sense and just the architecture that goes on and on with it. It's called taking money from the poor. And you see at that time, there were indulgences being sold. The church was selling indulgences to build St. Peter's Church, promising the people that for the money that they gave, their sins would be forgiven. Do people do that? You're serious? A church did that? Yeah, they've always done that kind of thing. You see, Luther reacted... The people reacted. And what you got out of that was the Protestant Reformation. That's what it was built on because it was doing the same thing as the judicial system or um, the Jewish system, the religion that they had was built on. You remember? It's where the money is. Follow the money. We just did. Where did we go? We went into that temple, into the court of the Gentiles. We went into the treasury. And where does that money go from the treasury? Most of it into the Sadducees and some of the other leaders' pockets. They were very rich. So therefore, they take enough money that's out of their pockets and take it all out, throw it all in there, and the people go, wow, those are spiritual people. Jesus knows full well in their heart what that's all about. And He disdains it. Woe to you. Right? He says they will have a greater condemnation. Evangelist of the day, call it seed faith. Give us your money and God will double it. He'll multiply it back to you. God doesn't want to widow to give her last two cents or her last hundred dollars or everything that she has to live on. That's the last thing that God would want anyone to do. 
gave them the money so that they'd take care of it to be able to use it for needs. Woe to you who sell your miracle water and your miracle claws. That's really what Tetzel was doing whenever he was selling indulgences. They uh, became rich on the backs of the lonely, the poor, the disillusioned, the diseased, the desperate. That is why Jesus is so angry. Did you see anger in Jesus when we saw the woes? And beware. He's been there for a few days right in the temple and He's seen it all. He already knew. And when He saw it, and then He saw that widow, I was like, did he have to have, don't you think he had feelings for her? Oh, I wish she knew what she was doing. But she did give more than everybody else, didn't she? Two pennies. Gave all she had. If you give us the money and you have an act of faith on that, God is obligated to make you healthy and wealthy. God is never obligated except for all His promises that He gives in here. And to be honest with you, with every one of us here, we have been absolutely more than blessed. More than double or triple blessed. So therefore, we've already had that. What they're wanting is the helicopters, private planes, the mansions, million dollar mansions, billion dollars coming into their religion. It's a corrupt system. This lady is caught in a corrupt system. All the Jewish people were caught in a corrupt system. The leaders are even going to be getting greater condemnation. She gave the last coins that she had to a false religion. Now God in His grace can do something about that. And He could have saved her right there. Maybe she was saved, but not informed. See, I'm not making a judgment on her, but I can say that what she did, she didn't have to do. She should have been taken care of by those guys, shouldn't she? That's why He's going to destroy this den of robbers That whole place is going to come down because he knew exactly what was going on. It continues and it continues. Evil and wickedness, even in what is the so called religion or church, is going to continue until Jesus comes back again and cleans house. That's what we have to look forward to. That's the grace that we see. So in this message, it's not dark to us, but we're seeing that Jesus is just... He's already started the judgment passage, the judgment sermon. And right there, it's it's just like it's in the middle of it. As He experiences it, and He's you know, shaking His head, you know, and He's compassionate. But He feels for all the people that have been misled. And then he tells about the signs of Christ coming. The judgment 70 AD and the judgment that is coming very soon.
that could be in our lifetime. Because He's going to make it right. Hallelujah. Amen. That is what we want to take home out of that, if you are believers. Dear Heavenly Father, what a story this is. May we be able to glean the truths that are out of this and realize that a false religion and the hypocrisy that goes with it and all the money that goes with it, it's not what it looks like. But you know the heart. And we want our hearts right. And yes, we want to give. We want to give right. We want to give biblically. And thank you for being, giving us, to, for us to be able to make a living and to have food and clothing and shelter that you give us. We live so richly here. We are rich, Lord. It's how, I guess, society defines it. Thank you so much. May we use all the opportunities that we have in witnessing and giving and all the worship that we have to give truth to the people who are unwisely giving and have no idea what they really, really have been taken into if they've been misled. We thank you, Lord, for your truth. Keep guiding us into that. In Jesus' name, Amen.